Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Many of us have read books like Don Piper's 90 Minutes in Heaven or Todd Burpo's story of his son in Heaven is for Real. There are many near-death experiences that I've read about when people have died and had a glimpse into the afterlife. But no one can really prove those experiences are genuine. Were they dreams? Were they visions? Were they truth? Were they God's direction for us so we'd know? Or were they just something that people thought up in their minds? The question we must always ask is, do these books or experiences match with Scripture? And even if they seem to, we've got to be careful not to let experiences overshadow or let experiences shape our understanding from the Bible, because there's no way we can accurately verify whether those books or that information is from God or is a vivid dream. So we've got to look at God's word, not man's, because God's the only one who's ever seen his new heaven. So is therefore the only one who can truly tell us what it's going to be like. Now, I'm not saying don't read their books. I've read one of those, and I thought it was very fascinating and matched up much with Scripture. But we have to know Scripture so that we don't let books in Hollywood taint our vision of what the truth is. We need God's truth as to what lies ahead for us. I'm Debbie Blank, looking forward to continuing our study on the eternal heaven today from Revelation 22. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. In Revelation 22, we're given a truly amazing picture of some things we can readily relate to and other things that are so amazing, like the song says, we can only imagine. But we can fully trust the love and perfection of our Creator God. A man who is partially colorblind had the opportunity to try on some experimental glasses that would show him the colors he had been missing all his life. Although he felt his condition had never really impacted his life that much, Tears came to his eyes when he saw the colors he could never have imagined or described. Perhaps heaven is a little bit like that. Today we come to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the book and the final chapter of the entire Bible. Here Jesus comes full circle with the completion of God's eternal purpose that we first read about in the beginning in the book of Genesis. We will discover more about heaven, the full circle and conclusion of God's eternal plan, and Jesus' last message for us in his word. That's the key. Jesus' last message to us. This is the chapter that he ends with. And he ends with hope. The eternal hope we have in Jesus Christ and where we're going to be with him. And we're reminded in this chapter of Jesus and how our focus needs to be on him. One passion of mine is encouraging people to visit Israel because it is truly life-changing. It makes the Bible come to life and it strengthens our relationship with Jesus. The highlight is seeing Jerusalem, the holiest city on earth. But I got to tell you, we're all going to see Jerusalem if we've believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's going to be the new Jerusalem, not the one here on earth, but we will all see it someday. And what a glorious time that will be. So if you can't make it to Jerusalem in this lifetime, rest assured that if you've repented and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you will get to see the new Jerusalem. And that's the most important one. 
we have walked through chapter 21, which pretty well explained what the new Jerusalem is going to be like and how awesome it's going to be to reign with God. So Jesus is summing up here in Revelation 22, some of the things we've already seen, but also some other things that he wants our mind to dwell on as we prepare for his coming. He begins in Revelation 22, verse 1, by saying, He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the millennial kingdom, according to Ezekiel, there's going to be water coming out from Jerusalem, from the throne of the Lamb. But this isn't the same thing. It's important to understand Scripture and realize that context is king in studying Scripture. And when you do, you realize Ezekiel is talking about the millennial kingdom, and this is the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. He said, it's a river of the water of life. Why do we have water? Well, we have it to drink. Our body is mostly made up of water. We need that to sustain us. Will we need it to sustain us in the new heaven? No, I don't think so, because we have totally new bodies. There is no need that we're going to have. So perhaps the water, clear as crystal, and since it's coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, is relating here to the eternal life that we get through Jesus. You recall what we've talked about before from John 4, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, how he talked about how he would give her living water. Well, that's what we have here. The living water, the eternal life that flows directly from the throne of God and the lamb. According to chapter 21, there's no more temple, but there is a throne. God is still going to be seated on his throne. Every time we see God, the father in scripture that is in a location, he is seated on a throne. Whether we look at Isaiah six or we look at revelation four, other places, he's seated on his throne because he is the majestic almighty God. And here it talks about he and Jesus on the throne then the water, the eternal life is flowing from them. And each one of us has experienced it for all eternity. So whether it's symbolic or it's actual water-like substance that would make a river that is still symbolic of that eternal life that uh, God gives us and that Jesus bought for us with his sacrifice, it talks about that. So we have a concept of what that would look like. And when we talked about no sea, we do have a river. Perhaps there are lakes. We don't know how much water there actually is, but he gives us an idea of something that we can identify with, with that water running down in the middle of the street. Well, our streets in heaven and the New Jerusalem are going to be that transparent gold stuff that we've never seen. And like you said, probably no potholes in those roads. But visualizing this, I've been in cities where they've had river walks and they're really pretty. And there's trees on each side and plantings and sometimes shops and things like that, which are not mentioned in Revelation. But I just kind of picture this beautiful river walk on either side of the river. It says there was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now that's really interesting. Do we have like one kind of tree that's planted along both sides of the street? Where have we seen the tree of life before? We've seen it in Genesis. We've seen it in a promise to the church of Ephesus that they would be able to eat from the tree of life. So it disappears in Genesis. At some point, there are two cherubim that are there guarding the tree of life to make sure that Adam and Eve, who have sinned, 
will not live eternally in sin, but then we don't see the tree of life again. And now we actually see it as it might be in this first part of Revelation 22. So think about the tree of life. In Genesis 3, 22 and 23, God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord sent him out of the garden of Eden. You see, God was protecting man from eating of that tree and living forever in his eternal sin, which would have separated him from God. Here in Revelation 22, people are already living forever in heaven. So this tree of life provides something different for them. What that is, we don't quite know. But it's important enough that God has this tree of life in his eternal heaven. So on either side of the river, it tells us in verse 2, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this tree of life does have all different kinds of fruit. The way it reads to me is you have one tree, but one maybe bears oranges and one apples and one figs and so forth. And that's impossible because God has made it clear from his word that each tree bears its own fruit. It doesn't bear other fruit. But this tree of life is the eternal life and it's for the healing of the nations. That's such an interesting phrase. We talked a little bit about it in chapter 21, when it told us in verses 25 and 26, that in the daytime, its gate shall never be closed and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Why do the nations need to be healed? Everything in heaven is already healed. It's perfect. It's sinless. We have to look at the word. The word for healing is therapia, where we get the word therapeutic. And that simply means made whole. The healing of the nations are made whole. It's health giving. It's enjoyment rather than actual healing from some disease or for something that's wrong. Why are we separating out nations from individuals? You have to go back and look at Matthew 25. In that judgment, the judgment of the nations, we call it the sheep and goat judgment because that's how Jesus refers to them when he says, I'm going to put the sheep on my right and the goats on my left. Each one of the nations at the time of Jesus' return will be judged as to how they dealt with the nation Israel. We're very familiar with this judgment from verses 31 to 46 in Matthew 25 because we take it out of context a lot. And what we tend to use is that one important phrase that says, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. We use that for how we treat other people and how we minister to other people. But the context there, when it talks about to the extent that you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, it's talking about the Jews during the tribulation period. So it's talking here about how the nations treated Israel if they saw them as God's chosen nation. If these nations, by the way, were Christ-centered nations. And you can see that by the key word righteous. God says about the nations in verse 37, the righteous nations will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you food or drink? When you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. He goes on then to talk about the goats and he told them to depart from 
me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels, because those people in those nations were not righteous. They didn't support Israel. They didn't believe in Jesus. So that judgment will take place after Jesus Christ returns to earth. And he's specifically judging the nations according to their national righteousness and their national support of Israel versus those who did not. And for some reason, he's keeping a national distinction as we move into eternal heaven. Well, I'm glad that you answered that question because that was one that that I wondered about is why would there still be nations? But if it's God's will, of course, there would still be nations. And so it says that that's what's happening here. But there's the healing of the nations. So there's nothing wrong, nothing bad going on with the nations. No, nothing bad can ever go wrong in heaven. What we've seen here, too, so far is interesting because there's water and there's food. Are we going to need water and food in our new bodies? Maybe we are, but it's a different water and a different food. It's a spiritual water of eternal life through Jesus Christ. And it's a spiritual food, the one for the healing, the one that's made us whole, equipping us. And when we think of that river of water, John seven thirty eight reminds us that he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And that's Jesus. So we have food and we have water, but they're both spiritual. They're not sustenance that we need to exist today because we won't need anything to exist in heaven. We have everything that we need in our new bodies and with God dwelling with us. Turning to Revelation 22, 3, it continues on by saying, and there shall no longer be any curse. What a blessing that's going to be. Over in Chapter 21, verse 4, we learned that God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. All of those were results of the curse, the curse that came upon the world when Adam and Eve chose to sin. But now that curse is gone. I love being around positive people, Christ-centered people, encouraging people, rather than those people who talk negatively or criticize or do evil things. So I like having a little slice of heaven here on earth by experiencing that kind of atmosphere in my life. There's no more curse in heaven. We're not going to be dragged down. It's only going to be uplifting and glorifying and encouraging and faith building there. I think about Genesis 3 also and the curse that was pronounced after Adam and Eve fell. And God had to pronounce the curse he pronounced on Adam, he pronounced on Eve, he pronounced on the serpent, and he also pronounced on the earth. And so the earth was going to be bringing forth thorns and thistles, and it was going to be hard to deal with. And so the planet earth needed to be restored. We saw a restoration in the millennial kingdom, but what we see now in this new heaven and this new earth is completely away from any curse that would have been pronounced on the old earth. There's no curse whatsoever on the earth. So we see these beautiful trees and the beautiful fruit and the beautiful river of life, totally pure. Goes on in verse three to say, and the throne of God and the lamb shall be in it. Now we saw that in verse one. We saw that in chapter 21. God keeps reminding us who's going to be there. And it says, and his bondservants shall serve him. We're his bondservants, those who are followers of Jesus Christ. We're going to serve him. That's the greatest joy we can have, dwelling in the presence of God and being able to serve him. Wow. We're reminded of that in Revelation 7, 15 before this. It says, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. And that's what we have. I know some people are a little cynical and they say, well, 
I want to do something besides just worship and serve God while I'm in heaven. Now, just wait, because as we move down verse five, it says we're going to reign forever with him, which means we're going to do something besides just serving him because we're going to be reigning with him. Verse four goes on to say, and they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. We've seen that name on their foreheads before. In Revelation 7, when the 144,000 Jews were chosen to share the gospel, the love of Jesus Christ with other people, Jews specifically, but others during the millennial kingdom, the name of God was written on their foreheads. Well, now we're going to have the name of God on our foreheads because we are all believers in Jesus Christ. But more importantly in verse 4 is that we're going to see his face. Has anyone ever seen God's face? No, they have not. In 1 Timothy 6, 13 and 16, Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. We know from Exodus thirty-three twenty, when Moses was in the wilderness, that no man can see God's face. And yet we will see his face, just as Matthew 5, 8 promised, when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now imagine nobody on the face of the earth has seen God face to face. Now Moses was as close as it gets. He was in the presence of God, but didn't see him face to face. You and I get to see him. What will our first reaction be? I tend to think that I would just fall flat on my face. I wouldn't be able to look at him because he's so perfect and pure and I am not. But wait a minute, I'm in heaven. And in heaven, only perfect and pure things can be in heaven. So I will be perfect and pure also. Not as God is or like God, because I can never be like God. But I will have his attributes. I will be his child. He has brought me to heaven because I've believed in him. I'm going to be able to look directly into his face. And I'm going to find love and mercy and patience and peace and all those amazing attributes that God has. I can't even fathom what that's going to be like. It also reminds me of that part in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we see in a mirror darkly, but then face to face. So we are promised that we will see him face to face only through the sacrifice of Jesus and through his righteousness can we do that. Mm, What an amazing time that's going to be. The fellowship that we're going to have with him like we could never imagine. We have a fellowship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. We have the opportunity to live this life with Christ. It's going to be so much different, though, in heaven. Verse 5 goes on to say, And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. That tells us we're going to be more than servants. We're going to be reigning with God. And we go back to what we've talked about before. No sun, no light, because God illumines it with his Shekinah glory. So we've just seen that there's going to be water and food, but it's different than what we're used to here. There's no more curse. God's throne's there. The fellowship with God where we're going to see him face to face is going to be awesome. We have light in God illumining the world and illumining us, and it's going to be forever. Just more little nuggets to add to the list that we've been making about heaven. Before we go into just a brief summary that Jesus gives us prior to the end of the book. 
couple of thoughts when I looked at verse 5. For one thing, it says there will no longer be any night, but you know, then there won't be any sleep deprivation either. (laughs) I think that it just shows that we won't need to do that. We won't have to be refreshed with sleep. And then to look at the sun and know that the sun that we have right now actually is dying. It wasn't created to last forever. And there are sunstorms and sunspots that affect our planet negatively. There won't be any need of sunscreen because God's light is healing and wonderful. And the light that we have from the sun can be dangerous. All of those things, if you think you're going to miss out on some of that, really, truly, God's light is going to be healing and wonderful and perfect. Good observations, Jackie. I love that extra information there, the things to think about. Well, now Jesus is going to give us a summary in the next two verses in Revelation 22, 6 and 7. He starts by saying, And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. That's almost a direct quote from earlier chapters in Revelation. We know Jesus is faithful and true. Now we're told that these words are faithful and true. Doesn't that make sense? Because in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus' words are God's. Jesus is God. Jesus is the word. Everything that we've read, not only in this book, but in the whole of the Bible is faithful and true. We can believe it. In this day and age when we're not getting the truth, we're getting opinions, we're getting different people's manipulation, we're getting fake news from all different sources, whether it be within our country or outside of our country, trying to manipulate us and sway us. When it comes to Jesus, every word that he gives us is faithful and true. In a world when we can't trust things, we can trust Jesus. And then when he talks about the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, how he sent his angel to sow his bondservants, what must shortly take place, that's almost a direct quote out of verse 1 of Revelation 1. And that is that he showed his bondservants, that's John, and then given to us what must shortly take place. You might say, shortly, gee, that was written about 95 AD and it hasn't happened yet. But what that means is, Once it begins to happen, it's going to happen quickly. It's imminent. What this gives us when it gives us the word shortly is the understanding of Christ's imminency. These things are going to happen. Since a day is is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day with God, from the time this was written until the time it happens could be just a blink of an eye with God. The important thing here is the imminency. It can happen anytime. God could have made it happen 1,900 years ago, and he can make it happen tomorrow, where all these things that we've read about in Revelation can start unfolding. Debbie, when you talked about the word quickly or shortly or however it's translated in the scriptures, we know that it means quickly or suddenly. And I just got to thinking about how we have seen things change dramatically suddenly. And we all know what that means now. We all understand what that looks like now because we've seen it happen in our, in our world recently. So we can kind of understand that when Jesus comes, it will come quickly and suddenly. When I first became a believer, I was seeing things happen a little bit here and a little bit there. And I go, oh my gosh, that matches up with scripture. That means we're getting near the end times. Well, now the suddenly, as you say, it's just happening so quickly. It's like a hamster running on a treadmill. He just goes faster and faster and faster. That's where we are. 
I have missed over the last years as we've talked about the book of Revelation. I've missed sharing all the things that have been going on in our world that match up with the Bible. So we'll get to those in a few weeks. We'll get back to that because it's moving so quickly. So we have to be ready. We have to be prepared because Jesus said the world's going to be destroyed. And we read that a few weeks ago in 1 Peter chapter 3. But then after he told the people that in 1 Peter, he gave them some exhortation that I think we need to pay attention to, too. In 1 Peter 3, 11 through 18, he says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, and that's the destruction of the current heaven and earth, he says, What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Well, that statement right there, that question for us should be enough for us to ponder on. What sort of people would honor Jesus Christ or what sort of people would Jesus have us live our lives like or be like? And that would be Christ-centered people. In verse 12, he says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of our Lord. That's that quickness, that suddenly looking for all the time, the imminency, the return of Jesus Christ, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Because when Jesus comes, that's what will happen at the end of the thousand years in which righteousness dwells. That's exactly what we've been talking about regarding eternal heaven. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things. Now, the question is, do you look for these things? Are you looking for the eternal heaven? Are you looking for Jesus return? Are you looking for him to be glorified? Are you looking for your reigning with Christ here on earth? Are you looking for the rapture where he's going to come for his church? If we're looking for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. There's a lot of turmoil going on in this world today. So to have peace can only come through Jesus Christ. And then he says that we're to be spotless and blameless too. That can only happen if we're following Jesus with all of our hearts. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. That's because it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. He is patient and his patience awaiting before he returns is for the salvation of as many as possible that can turn to him. Are you one of those people? He's waiting to turn to him before he returns. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, it goes on to say, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, and you should know it with all that we've talked about it. Be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the bottom line. That's how we should be living now, because we're preparing for Jesus' quick return. He says then in Revelation 22, verse 7, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Again, it's a summary. In chapter 1, verse 3, we were told, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. That's a strong warning. It's time to heed it because things are going to change and we need to be prepared before they do. So here in verses 6 and 7, Jesus is simply giving a summary a reminder of some of the things he said, because they're important. When Jesus says something once, listen to him. But when he says it two or three times, like he's doing here, we need to really pay attention. We're still not finished with heaven. We've got more to discuss. So we'll return next week to do that. 
But for now, we have to say, are we ready? Do we see these things happening? Are we paying attention to the word of God? Are we seeking Jesus? Are we walking with him? And then are we faithful to him? Because only the faithful, the true righteous believers in Jesus Christ will inherit this eternal life. Now is the time to turn to Jesus, confess your sins, submit your life to him, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be a faithful follower of his because these are interesting times in which we live and Jesus is coming quickly. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.